What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike, and we are discussing the third episode of A Discovery of Witches. And we were talking off camera about one of our favorite parts. I think we're just going to start there because we're all like, once we started mentioning it, everybody got animated. So favorite part of the episode. (laughs) When Father Hubbard Hubbard came across the table (laughs) on Peter Knox. And jacked him up by his throat. And just like like a black mom's like, say it again, say it again, say it again, right? do it. Say it, I dare you. Right. It was not you. Didn't I tell you to sit your ass down? It was a perfect reenactment of 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 uh Ike and and Tina Turner. Yeah. Eat the cake. Exactly. (laughs) Eat the cake. You trying to help Hubbard? You trying to help Hub? You trying to help Hub? Let me tell y'all when when that scene played, my daughter looked and she said, Oh, so Father Hubbard is bringing some big dick energy to the game now. I was like (laughs) I mean, I take it back. I take it back what I said in the last episode about him seeming a little more meek and kind of, no, he was just saving it up for when he needed it. And boy, I'm telling you, I would never get tired of seeing people getting Peter Knox's ass. That will I mean, never get tried, old. Awesome. He tried to pull out his little black ball of, of he hate. Don't, he don't get enough of that. Say, Hubbard, Hubbard, put that shit away, motherfucker. <laughs> he came across time that was done to him. Satu did it last week. This week he did. He must well just throw that. He must well just throw that little ball away. Just, I know, just right? Find something else. And then on top of that, when he tells him to get out, he's like, "With my blessing." I was hollering. I was like, "Oh my god!" And, and, but see, what was so cool about the whole thing is that we see that Hubbard is still doing the whole, you know, having a flock. Now he's got like a nonprofit or whatever, right? Yeah, because so he, he's doing witch, he's he's doing witches too. So yeah. Father Hubbard is like fuck the covenant too. <laughs> he's literally yeah. doing the same thing he's been doing for like six, seven hundred years. Doing it in the business setting, it's like big dude's wrist. It was like you're part of my flock now. Like in in the in the office, like I was like, right, like wide open. I was like, oh, that's how that's what we doing. Okay, Father Hubbard, Father Hubbard he, fuck he, you and your covenant. He rolls like that, you know. The last yeah, time does. we saw him, he had an entourage of cars. Father Hubbard is a baller. Man. I own yeah, this town. when it comes to Benjamin, he kind of like, well, Benjamin's well, his that, sire, so. That yeah, means I was going to say, Benjamin's his sire, so he kind of doesn't have much of a choice. But I, yeah. I don't know, because um, all of Marcus's kids, <laughs> they look at him with disdain and disdain. Okay, look. Okay, hold up. That, that's, be, that's because Marcus and Sires are black, and you can't he can't treat them like you know. He's like y'all got to do what I say. Excuse, and they're from New Orleans, so they're like oh we got to do what you say, huh? Oh we ain't gonna do nothing that here, huh? Nah, nah, share. We ain't doing that, nah, nah. Okay, so let's talk about Marcus and his sires because I have questions. I have questions. So I'm confused. Questions. I was I was under the impression he didn't know that they were still around. Okay, I no. I knew that he that they were there, but the confusion for me comes in. Okay, so as far as we know, Marcus just found out about the blood rage and him being a carrier less than a year 
ago, okay? Because we have to remember they are doing some small time jumps in this and it's been several months now. So he just found this out a year ago, okay? Up until then, he had no idea that Matthew had wiped out his, his sires, you know, the ones that had the blood rage or whatever. But the way that they're talking and the way that they're treating Marcus, they're acting like Marcus knew and still made a conscious choice to go with Matthew. And I'm just so confused because the way that they're treating him and the way that they're talking to him now, granted, Matthew, I understand perfectly why they would be mad at him. But here's the thing, too. Don't you think that if they knew that Matthew was the one who was killing all of, you know, all of that part of the family, that Marcus would have found out about it some way, somehow? So I'm wondering if they only recently found out that it was Matt. It, it's so confusing the way that they played this. It, to me, it seems like I thought that Marcus had, had been siring children and Matthew was telling him that they were dying, like they died off, mm-hmm. like it, it, it wasn't working. So he never told him about the blood rage. But then Matthew was leaving the ones who were just carriers alive, but not telling. But then Marcus was like, I missed this. So were there times that was there a time when he was actually hanging out with them? Because when they were playing poker, he was like, oh, I missed this hanging out with y'all. Yeah, I think so. I was kind of confused. Like, there had to be some kind of rift because even Ransom said something about it. Um, what was it that he said? I and now I had it in my brain and now I'm blank, but he made some reference. Oh, when when he finally saw Marcus, you know, when Marcus pulled the I'm coming to see him as his sire, that was the time that Ransom, you know, would sit there and speak with him. And he said something about you made your choice, meaning that he chose to go with Matthew. So I don't know if there was if it was because they knew Matthew was killing, you know, all of the vampires or what. But there was obviously some kind of disagreement, some kind of fight or whatever that made Marcus go. But even I mean, the way that he made it sound was like he would come back every so often because he made reference of that he was like you know i'm used to a warmer reception when i come yeah that, so, that's what i was confused about can do, do you know anything right, laurie since you Lori, can you well, help us out th- this part isn't in the book but oh. i i suspect that what happened is that all the new orleans vampires knew that something had happened and because marcus is so Marcus, meaning that he once, I get the impression that once Marcus leaves the place, he might come back once or twice, but he basically doesn't really come back all that much. So I think they knew something had happened, but they just didn't tell him what had happened because as far as they're concerned, his problems and their problems don't necessarily mesh. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what I I think. I can see that, but I don't know. it. The way that it came across it seemed like there was more to it than I just think there is that. too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, think about it like I'm, I'm okay, you know, Laura, you know, I'm about to go to Vampire Diaries Originals, the Michaelsons. Okay. All right. So it's almost like, you know, how with the Michaelsons, 
they would stay somewhere, they would kind of settle. And then after a few years, they would leave. They may not come back for 50 years, 100 years. I mean, they were gone from New Orleans for 100 years because they right. were on the run from Michael. Right. But they right. came back. And I don't know, I just kind of got the impression that Marcus kind of d- did the same. You know, they, they always right. talk about how vampires can't stay in the same place. And it would have to be at least 75 years maybe for him to come back to a place because there may still be people living that knew him 50 years ago and would look at him and be like why are you not different so I can understand not going back to a certain place for 100 years whatever and apparently all of this blood culling or this vampire culling took place about 200 years ago the thing that confuses me is when Matthew finally made his confession, when he gave his confession and started naming all of the people or all of the vampires that he killed, these weren't just, these weren't vampires that were just turned. I mean, one of them was Ransom's mate. Mm-hmm. So it just seems so weird that Matthew would tell Marcus and what, what they've told him is that, oh, you know, the children that you sired didn't make it. And it was easy for him to believe that because of what happened with the doctor in the very first episode. He tried to sire him and it didn't take, you know, the guy still died. Like he he woke up as a vampire and then immediately died. So that was the impression, you know, that I got as far as what they were telling Marcus had happened with his children. Okay, I'm gonna take you. I'm gonna take you back to Vampire Diaries briefly. Okay, there is a possible. We haven't seen it yet, but there is a possibility that Matthew compelled Marcus. Now we haven't seen that, but it is possible that he. We don't know the rules. Okay, we know Vampire Diary rules. You have to be an original. And you have to be a strong. But it's quite possible that he was compelled. That he doesn't remember because I can't see Marcus not bringing this to the family at some point. I mean, to be 2020, 2019, whatever this is in, and to not know after hundreds of years, because he was made during the, the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. that any children that you make are going to have problems and you didn't hear about them going off. Uh, you didn't hear about them being triggered. You didn't hear about mysterious, you know, Jack the Ripper type murders. See, that's the thing that confused me yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. You don't know any of this. I mean, when they told, when Yosebo told him, he was literally shocked to death. He was like, what? Say what? What do you mean? I mean, he was generally uh, surprised. I mean, yeah. first of all, that's a hell of a secret to keep from your family member that you supposedly love and you hand the keys to the kingdom because he's in charge of the order so he obviously trusts him but i don't know we gotta see because i like i said i'm confused like you guys are because this none of this makes any sense doesn't make any i I wanted to i want to charge it up to just some sloppy writing Mm. i hate i hate to always go back to that but it it just seems like it's kind of sloppy because the only thing like that that means that at some point in you know the late 1800s so whenever matthew called all of them that he basically told ransom look if don't do it because if you do i'm gonna come over here and kill him so they probably haven't been siring hardly anyone and i'm sure and, 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 and see it's, it it's just so seems confusing. it seems wrong 
Yeah. <laughs> Something seems wrong. So because that's why I obviously, said copywriting. Because obviously Ransom and those vampires knew what Matthew did. And it appears that Marcus was the only one in the dark for so long. So what was it? Did Matthew threaten them? Like, don't have to have. Marcus? Or it's just, I don't know, something about that whole situation. It, it could have been Baldwin. Baldwin could have threatened them. Hmm. I mean, he could have 80 years or whatever. I mean, and and Philippe was still alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been been Baldwin because it's just, uh, I I think Anthony's right. I think this is sloppy writing because we should have some uh, fluidity on A to point B. And we don't, we don't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Because my question would be, you know, for them to be in New Orleans at this at the beginning of the episode, it says for a few weeks because Geraldine was like, you've been showing up here for weeks and we're still going to tell you no. That struck me because, you know, throughout the episode, Marcus is talking to them and he's telling them, you know, Matthew's trying to change. He did the calling, but he's trying to look for a different way or whatever. And it's almost like they had a conversation or you know what now now that we're sitting here talking through i think it kind it, it's starting to make sense now i'm thinking that the new orleans vampires probably didn't know that market well no it it kind of sort of meshes and it kind of sort of doesn't i'm thinking maybe they didn't know that Matthew was the one behind the culling, maybe until Matthew and Marcus got to New Orleans and they had to sit down and talk to them about the scion. Maybe they, maybe Marcus had to, I, but I don't know. That doesn't it's, make it's, sense it's, it seems like It still seems like they knew that Matthew was behind it. It's right. like, I, I think mostly it's, I, I think more, the more likely scenario is that they knew Matthew was behind it, but because of who Matthew was, and like because of his family line, they didn't dare. They were like, what the "Fuck, are we gonna do?" Plus, like you said, Philippe's still alive. It's supposed. I mean, the whole head of that family was still alive. So if you go against him, you're going against all of them, and you're going against but, the congregation. And that's something they're like, "That's a fight we can't win." So if they're gonna cull us, we. I mean, there there's not really hmm. shit we could do. I'm starting to. Th- I'm 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 starting to think about it now. That's the reason why Marcus was apprehensive about coming to New Orleans. Because he was going to have to tell them the truth. I, I think that. that's what it was. Okay. That's why he was apprehensive. And that's why Phoebe was so worried about him going to New Orleans. Because he was going to have to tell them the truth about what Matthew did. And he was coming into New Orleans with Matthew. So in a way, they probably are looking at Marcus like, oh, you know, he did this. And you're still with him. When in reality, Marcus like we said he just found out but if you think about it marcus has been back to new orleans he said as much in the card game but he was wondering why the reception was so chilly this time as he says if he didn't have that problem the last time he was there that means that there was no secret there was no bitter feelings maybe the vampires just didn't know what what had happened to their loved ones you know like i think there was um who was it? One of them said something about we didn't know what happened. We just had to we just had to pick up the bodies and bury them. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's what, okay. So it's now that we're talking about it, it's starting to make a little more sense to me. I'm thinking they had to tell the truth when they got to New Orleans. And that's why everything was so hostile as far as the way that they were towards Matthew, the way that they were towards Marcus as well. And then the Philippe thing wouldn't really make much sense because again, in the last episode, Jack reveals that he spoke to Philippe. He met Philippe. He knew Philippe and Philippe knew he had blood rage. And he told him to wait for Matthew, that Matthew was going to be the one to help him through it. So yeah, I'm that, that has I mean, to be. But, but was he going to really help him through it? Or when he said help him through it, was that really a euphemism for Matthew's going to rip his throat out? No, you have to think about it. The Philippe that we thought or that we met was different from the Philippe they left behind because the Philippe from before Diana came into the picture with him, he didn't give a fuck about witches. He didn't give a fuck about anybody but the vampires. And then he kind of changed his mind once he met Diana because as as he told Gallo Glass, Diana is going to be the one to change it for us. She's she's going to be very important to Matthew and to all of us. And I think maybe by that point, even with Jack, he was like, okay, you know what? If you are Matthew and Diana's at this point, he already knows about Matthew and Diana, their strong bond, all this other stuff. He's probably thinking, okay, if anybody can help fix this, it'll be them. Okay, so that makes sense to me then that we just have to assume that the New Orleans vampires had no idea why they were being cold until Matthew Marcus. and Marcus came there and he told them. And that's, and that's why, why it's taking them weeks. That's why they're treating them like crap. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, I, I can make that make sense. Yeah. Okay, but I, 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 I submit to you this. Did nobody in their group watch Murder, She Wrote? I mean, they are a black group of vampires they should have all 12 seasons on dvd did nobody go around and be jb fletcher and say hey we're all dying for some reason what happened let me investigate you mean nobody was curious i'm just saying do you really think a vampire of matthew's skill would leave any evidence behind for them to find i'm sure they looked i'm sure they they searched and they tried to figure it out but somebody like matthew won't leave a trace behind yeah and he has a money to have resources to watch them while he was, you know, doing whatever he was well, doing. And right. they are technically to report declare, to him. And they are technically the Claremont. So yeah, okay, okay. I'm just saying that somebody had to have some curiosity. I mean, yeah, may not have found anything, but somebody somewhere had to be, you know what, I want to find out why, you know, 15 of my siblings are dead, you know, and, and nobody else is dead. Plus, after the first three or four, they have to put together that they have blood rage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know because exactly. i mean they don't strike me as being dumb they mm-hmm. strike me as being very savvy and smart especially geraldine especially ransom those mm-hmm. two they 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 should have figured out by the time the third or fourth one was found dead they're like okay someone's killing us and they have this for it because of blood rage like that something's up but they yes. but i mean yeah yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll i'll give them that credit that they're that they're not that stupid yeah, I'm not gonna I, I won't say that they're stupid, but again, the congregation has ways of making vampires fall into line. 
and they wouldn't have had to give them any information. They could have just said for safety reasons, because that because something is happening to the vampires here, maybe it's better if you guys don't sire anymore. They could have easily said that. Yeah, Baldwin, yeah. like you say, Baldwin could have done that because remember the standing order from the congregation is all blood rich vampires have to be culled. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they go there and and the congregation sends a message like, you guys need to stop siring because if you do and the vampire has blood rage, we're going to take care of it. Or they may have just said, oh, we're killing them off because they're blood rage. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, they don't I'm trying to make it make sense. Yeah, I mean, they don't necessarily have to say, okay, well, you're passing it. That Like, I'm sure Marcus wasn't the only vampire in New Orleans siren other vampires. They could have easily... I mean, Philippe was in charge of the congregation, so he could have easily told the New Orleans vampires, "Okay, it was another vampire, because I'm sure everywhere that the dead vampires were, Matthew left his scent. But if he had never met any of the other ones or if he hadn't been around them as much, they probably wouldn't have picked up his scent. Again, Matthew has been doing this for hundreds of years. I'm sure he knows how not to be associated with whatever was going on or Here's another thing. If everybody knew back in the 1500s that Matthew was going around killing blood rage vampires, they could have figured that out too. And then be like, okay, you know what? We don't know how these blood rage vampires got here, but I mean, it, there's so many ways that it can go, but they don't really make it clear. They don't. And from, from what, I re- what I understand from the show is that was Matthew's job. Like he was assigned that task by the congregation through Philippe mm-hmm. that he was the one to go around and kill the blood rage vampires. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did for hundreds of years. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot that they could have been a little more clear on. And again, they could give us more information in the next episode. I don't think so. I think this episode was the one that was really supposed to establish Matthew Sion and kind of give us a little bit of the backstory so the more we talk about it the more i think yes the new orleans vampires had no idea what had happened until marcus and matthew had to go there to convince them to join the scion and they had to be honest because again that is now matthew's whole thing we need to leave we need to be honest we need to be upfront we need to we need to have the truth so the more we talk about why even why even no, I was like, why even tell them then if they don't know why? Why even take responsibility for it? Because you have to explain why you're forming the Scion in the first place, and gotcha. I'm sure, and I'm sure Baldwin would have said something to them about the fact that, oh, the Declaremont line has blood rage, because at this point now Matthew and Baldwin are opposite sides because of Jack. Yeah, you know. He's the one that Baldwin ordered Matthew to kill. Matthew said, no, I'm not going to kill him. There may be a cure. But in doing so, like, um, you know, like Ransom said, Matthew is a hypocrite at this point Mm -hmm. because you're not doing the very thing that you did to the rest of us. So what makes him so special? And I'm sure Ransom figured it out. You know what I'm saying? But still, it's one of those things where, okay, if you're going to be this great big butcher of vampires who have blood rage, then that has to extend to the people that you love too. 
Because other than that, I mean, you killed all the people that we love. We could go and kill Jack. I mean, and I think Matthew knew that. He said, I mean, he said as much when he walked into the bar when he was trying to convince Ransom. And Ransom said, so you think this is supposed to be different? And he was like, I'm risking my life to be here to show you guys that it has to be different that I mean what I say. And then for him to go and do that whole, like, I thought about it at first. I was like, Ransom really kind of like, okay, we'll join your scion very quick. But when I think about it, for you to spend all night, literally all night, like when Matthew left, the sun was coming up and you recounted every single one of those killings in such detail not detail enough to to you know make them to make any of them rage out not blood rage but just rage in general but you remember names you remember personality quirks and you told them that you killed them for someone to have that sitting on their brain for so long to the point that you remember everything that's remorse because someone who didn't care they They wouldn't have given a second thought nope He recounted every single one of those names, just like Jack draws every single one of the faces of the the people that he kills. They have remorse. Yeah. And you can even tell, like, he watched them. Like, he was like, she used to, the one he said, she used to go to the grave site of someone that she loved. She went there often. So he was watching them and learning about them, you know, getting to know them and then having conversations with them before he killed them. Right. You know, one of them pled for their life. So one of them knew he was coming. Yeah. You know, and and the other thing too is the fact that when he, when he gave this confessional, he looked at Ransom and all of that crew in the face and told them, okay, this is what I did. And I think when it came to specific people, just like the lady who went to the cemetery, he looked over at Geraldine. So maybe that was someone she sired or someone that she loved, you know? Yeah. And, and even Ransom was like, you know, the one I want you to talk about, right? Yeah. He was <laughs> like, I told you what would happen if you miss one. This one. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that Matthew left for last because he knew that was the one that was the most important. Yeah. So that scene was very powerful. And I think for me, you know, I've been complaining a lot about Matthew and his lack of his lack of communication. I think he made up for it in this episode, yeah, not just yeah. with Ransom and the group, but also with Jack, you know, just kind of you can see a little bit of the change from when Jack first appeared on the scene, you know, and I said back then, I think he was just shocked because one, this is a grown up Jack and we have to remember for Matthew, he had just seen little Jack maybe a, a couple of weeks before then. So to see a grown-up Jack and then he's a vampire, I can kind of understand Matthew's reaction. I don't have to like it, but I understood it. But now that he is genuinely trying to help Jack and you see a little bit more of who he was to Jack back in 1590, it's the same. He He's doing better. And I think... He's also listening. He may not say much, but he listens. And I think he speaks when it's appropriate, just like he had to go make his amends to all the other vampires first and then come back to make amends to Marcus. Because if you make amends to Marcus, but the rest of the vampires feel like you still don't give a shit, does the apology to Marcus really matter? You know, and just like when he when he gave the apology, 
did you see Marcus's reaction? Like Marcus was trying to hold it together. Like, this is what I have needed. This is what, this is what my family needed. Didn't he tell him that much in the, in the previous episode, like before they left, I think they were standing outside. He was like, it was like, I, I still haven't heard what I needed to hear from you. Mm-hmm. When they were in the airport. <laughs> yeah. When they were in the airport. Yeah. But, um, and again, I, I really think that Matthew placed his cars to, close to the chest. And I think he knew he was going to have to, what he was going to have to do there in New Orleans in order to make everything go the way they needed. But I think he had to, Maybe he had to build up the courage to do it. That's not an easy task to go look people in the face and say, I killed your loved ones. And I did it because I was ordered to. Not because I wanted to, because we know even back then, Matthew didn't want to do this, but he thought he was doing what was best for the rest of the vampires. You know, sacrifice these so that the vampire community at large is safe. And also, if if some of them had their way, even the carriers would be killed too, like everybody, the carriers, the ones who who, who express it, mm-hmm. they'd all be dead. Yeah. So. so I think that was another reason why Philippe gave him that responsibility that he would he would know that notice the difference and would be able to walk away. I can see that. I can see that because. Philippe had his ways, but I don't think he was. He wasn't cruel. He wasn't unnecessarily or, or yeah. just, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's true about him, even though there were things that he had Matthew doing back in the 1500s that were questionable that to us, we would look at like, why are you doing this? And maybe even after he met Diana, maybe he, maybe he thought a little bit differently too. But of oh, course, he couldn't really say any of that because he couldn't let Isabel know. He couldn't let Matthew know because then that would that might alter Diana mm-hmm. coming into his life in the first place. You know, that whole time travel conundrum that you're always fussing about, Anthony. But doesn't he say that mm. he said we did things back then that we thought were right, even though we know now that they weren't or something to that effect? I think he did, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he he's you know, acknowledging that, you know, things could have been done better because of the time it was acceptable and they never, you know, so I, I also, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't have anything near to a cure. They didn't, a, a cure, a, a cure, what a cure that wasn't even on the mm-hmm. forefront of their minds. So at that time, killing blood rage vampires was probably the only thing they could do mm-hmm. now you have medical tech um you know advances you have technology advances you have things that weren't available to them in the 1500s you, you have yoga and mindfulness and sitting down and concentrating and you know being introspective about your feelings and understanding them that will help you overcome the blood rage as well they didn't have that stuff in the 1500s <laughs> they didn't but they probably i mean think well. about it they probably didn't think to apply that to vampires like those are things that work with humans yeah vampires they probably didn't even think about doing that kind of stuff because they're different but when you really look at creatures and and humans for all of our differences there are similarities there yeah. i'm so, starting to see an emergent theme from from this season which is 
we have to let go of the old things that we thought worked. They don't work now. So we have to do things differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it has us yeah. talking, but now, now that we've talked about it, yeah, it doesn't make, I mean, it makes a little bit more sense now than it did when we first started talking. Cause at first I was like, I just don't know what y'all were trying to do, but sometimes that's, that's too much. That's too much mental gymnastics. That's a, that's a narrative problem that they had. I, I think I, I'm gonna go with, it was a different group of writers from the original writers who started the storyline and didn't quite know how they wanted to get it across. Or it could also be the fact that maybe there's so much story to tell and they had to figure out how to put it in there. Like Laura said, this the New Orleans stuff is not even in the main three books. So it could be that they pulled it from Marcus's tales, um, you know, the comments, um, I think it's a duology right now. I don't think the third book is out yet, but maybe they did similar to what Shadow and Bone did. They pulled stuff from mm-hmm. the other set of books and brought it into this season to kind of make things mesh a little bit better. But I or also to give us a justification as to how the New Orleans vampires joined the Scion. Yeah, like, I, I think they just so. had to give us enough. Just give us just enough. We just got to write just enough. And we don't have to go into great detail because but no, it's not but important. And, but it's I actually important. liked, all, I liked all the detail because we got to see all of no, no. the... I'm saying, I'm saying I want more detail. They just don't need... They just feel like they don't need to give us any more because it accomplished the goal. Mm-hmm. They went to New Orleans. Yep. They made amends. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to join the sign. We don't need to know, you know, how long ago it was. Okay, was fifteen of them? Is he? Are they continuing to sire new vampires? And is someone killing those vampires when they show? I mean, just leave all that out because it's not important to our story right now. Yeah, the important yeah. part of our story is finding these fucking pages. Mm-hmm. Is your segue? Well, there's there there there's that, and then there's the whole thing of why did they decide? Because it's only I check it is only seven episodes. It's not eight. My question, wait, what? It's only seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. it's only seven episodes. No, yes. yeah, it's only seven. It's only seven. So, so my question is, why did they waste? I'm not not waste, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. Why did they waste time in an episode to show us New Orleans if we were not going to get the sequel? Well, I, I think kind of like what Anthony said. Maybe this is the backdoor pilot. I think so too. I think. So I too. think so too. And yeah. I'm excited. If it is, I'm excited. Really and truly, because I can't look. Look, we already have one favorite show that was set in New Orleans, so we can get another one. Yeah, yeah. I got. I got to be honest. I wouldn't mind seeing more of Geraldine because she was. Let me tell you, all Geraldine of these New Orleans vampires. Let me. Okay, so so now that we've gotten the serious stuff out the way, let's talk about some of the funny stuff. I find it really funny that all of Marcus's children are dressed up and they're so sophisticated. He's walking around looking like a kid in his chucks and his jeans. I don't have a problem with the way he dresses because I'm very casual as well. I just thought it was so funny. Like when he walked in to talk to Ransom, he's in his little skinny jeans and his chucks and he just stands there like he's a kid. I'm like, dude, you're his sire. The the funny thing is the person I live with whom related to our marriage, she said the exact same thing. It's like we paused. 
why is he dressed like he's a college student and they all looking fly you know me and michelle always we always on the same page even matthew got dressed dressed up and put on a little dress jacket with the dress but that's not who but i'm just saying i know know, but i just thought it was so funny if marcus would have showed up there in a suit and dressed to the nines, they would have been like, "What the fuck's going on?" They would, they would, they would. Yeah, they would have right. gotten anywhere with them because they know how he is. You're right. If he came there dressed like Matthew, they would be like, "Get your bitch ass out of here." You saw how they. You're right. You saw how. But it's saw, so funny. You saw how Geraldine talked to Matthew on the steps at the beginning of the episode. She was like, "I'm disrespecting him by talking to you in, by just talking to you right now," and fucking brushed past him. That's I was like, never. "Ma'am, mom, ma'am." But it's just so funny because Marcus, he. Even even with Jack, Jack has on a white t-shirt and some jeans and he still looks older than Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny to me. Not that, but like I said, I don't have a problem with it because I'm a jeans and t-shirt girl all day. So I understand it, but I just thought it was so funny. It's like he walks it to New Orleans. Geraldine is coming out of the law office. Because I mean, think about it. Marcus is a doctor. The first time we saw him, he was in regular clothes and jeans coming out of, you know, a shift. We've actually never seen him be a doctor, which is weird. Well, no, when Sophie was in the uh, hospital, we saw him come in. But I think even then he was like casually dressed. He was off duty. But, you know, it's just it just really threw me because I'm like, Marcus, you have all these nice, fine, sophisticated children. And then you look like a kid. Is it was just you know hair tousled and everything. It's just it's so. But funny. the amount of disrespect that they showed Matthew and Marcus was just so. Just I don't want to use the word classic because I don't I don't want to say that New Black Orleans people yeah. are like mm-hmm. yeah that we're like that, but they were very. But I mean, they had reason to if they found out about what happened. When Mar- when Marcus and Matthew got to town, they they had plenty. No, of it's like they were they were disrespectful. But if you notice, they really never raised their voices at him. They were just they were they were disrespectful and smooth no. about it. They were like, disrespectful dismissive. in a respectful way. In <laughs> a respectful way. That's what it was. M- mind you, Matthew probably could have taken them all out if he really wanted to put his mind to it. He probably could have. Even- even when Ransom like bucked up on him, he took a step back and said, "Hold up a second, right? That's not what I came here for, right? Exactly." But yeah, he what was it? He told Gerald Geraldine, "Tell Ransom he knows better than threaten me." <laughs> Think about it. I am the vampire that ended all of y'all's y'all's folks. So, yeah, and he's way more he's way older and more powerful than all of them combined. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that would be a problem for them. Yeah, I don't think Ransom would have had a problem. I think so. He w- he probably would have been a little more successful than the rest of them, but he right. still would have had a problem. He would last, he would last yeah, slightly longer that. than everyone else, like because you can tell that he has a little more, a little more oomph, for lack of a better word. Like, yeah, he's mm. he's like way more confident mm. and way more like I'm the head vampire in charge and controlled. He's very Extremely, controlled. Yeah. Like that scene Jack, with him and Jack. I mean, he was, he was, I was, he was literally toying with Jack. He was just like, he was just messing with him. Like, Oh, you're the vampire, aren't you? Oh, Hey, that's why I'm trying to figure like, when did Marcus sire these people, especially like ransom? Because 
it would still mean that Jack would be older as a vampire than Ransom. Oh, by several yeah. hundred years, yeah. 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 So it's not necessarily Ransom. I don't I don't know. I don't know. The 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 power leveling in in, in this series is just a little weird to me. Well, I think I I'm gonna say Ransom is powerful, yes. But Jack is a blood rage vampire. So and even without the blood rage, like you said, he's older. He's probably he's been around longer. He's probably fought more. But I mean, at best, Ransom was made a vampire in the late 1700s. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight early 1800s. Yeah. I think mm. that, that sounds about right. But, but if Jack would have been was, turned in 1600s. Yeah, it would have been hmm. early 1600s. Yeah. And if age has anything to do with how powerful they are, then he would be even in addition to being blood rage, he would still be stronger mm. than Ransom. Yeah. Now, I, this is all with the caveat that Ransom is smart enough to have a battle plan in place. <laughs> yeah. You know, with, with just that caveat. So it may not have been a walk, a cakewalk for Matthew. It would have been very difficult because I'm sure they had a plan. Yeah. Just in case. Especially with all those vampires in there. I mean, yeah. And I think in a situation like that, I don't want to say Matthew would have just let them kill him, but he probably would have felt, okay, you know what? They're justified. He would have walked away. He would he would have just he would have dipped. Yeah. He wouldn't have stung, he would have hung around. They would have caught him. Yeah. But I mean, he did go in there humble enough to say, look, I'm risking my life by being here. You know, I I I'm risking this to come and talk to you guys. So yeah. But um, let's let's come away from New Orleans for a minute and let's let's go to England and, and talk. Um, I will say two complaints I do have about this season so far. I do not like the fact that Sarah and Gallo Glass have basically been, uh, you know, uh, relegated to being wallflowers in the show Mm. you know sarah is walking around grieving and everybody is so focused on the vampire stuff in the book that they're not paying her any attention and gallo glass is now edward cullen following bella around everywhere and i just i don't i don't like it i don't i'll tell you what i I don't like how sarah was trying to leave she's trying to leave like you know y'all don't need me right here like y'all don't even pay attention to me so i don't i don't understand my purpose her but her feelings are hurt so i can and and she no no i i, I got that part the mm-hmm. part that the part that was a little strange to me was not at one point did she recognize that her niece is about to have babies and she should be around for that I think she recognized that, but at this point, I think, I think maybe it's gotten to be too much for her and she just kind of needs to get out of that space. You know, like she said, she needs to go home. She'll be around and, you know, she'll at least feel M more there, I think, than she would at 
I mean, she's basically at a stranger's house. You know, for, uh, Emily was never at Fernando's house, so her spirit would have no reason to be there. And I think she just feels alone. And sometimes when we feel alone, our thoughts are not rational. She probably talked herself every which way into thinking, you know what? Diana's got all these people around here. She doesn't need me. She probably really felt that, you know, with everything going on. Like she's got Phoebe here and she's got Gallo Glass and Fernando and Matthew. And she's, she's got all these people here who care about her and nobody's the paying babies. attention to me. Yeah, and I but understand, and I understand that. But still, when you're someone who is grieving from the loss of your life partner and nobody has, uh, I mean, even from the last episode, like she said, nobody talks about him except for Diana in that one scene before Sarah decided I have to go because she went in there and it's almost like Sarah was comforting her. And then she said, I miss her, you know, talking about him, I miss her. And it's kind of like, have you even asked your aunt how she's doing? Because I haven't seen it on the show yet. Right. Have you sat, have you gone to sit with her and hug her and embrace her and hold her through her grief? No, Sarah hasn't even really had a chance to grieve on the show because everybody's so wrapped up into everything else. And that, that does piss me off because I feel like, well, one, it's Alex Kingston. She should be doing more than sitting around, just walking around, picking up cups and picking up after everybody. She should be one of the central focus main she, character people. She's a she's probably uh, up until Diana. She was the she was a powerful witch too. She's the one who had to you know talk Diana through her training, and even now. When Diana is having her doubts, when she's not focused, Sarah is the one who sits down and tells her what she needs to hear. But I feel like she's being grossly underused in this season. And I really, I mean, and we only have three episodes left, not four. I really hope they do something different. No. Well, yeah, yeah. We have four episodes left and, and not five. I really hope that they do something with her character other than make her mope around the house sad because nobody's paying attention because I feel like that's such a waste of her character. Yeah, I mean, it's like her and thing. I, I agree with you. Of Alex Kingston. Yeah, it's like her thing. It's like, I mean, just the definition of being alone in a room full of people. It's like she has no connection to anybody in, in that room and she has no connection mm-hmm. to the house. She, she has no connection to anything. So of course she wants to I, I don't blame her. I'd, I'd want to go somewhere where I'd have, I have a connection because, to be totally honest, she hasn't had no chance to properly grieve. Like she said, she's had she got to have a ceremony and all the other stuff, but she hasn't had a chance to be alone with her grief and really process anything. Like there's right. like then that's really important. It's like you know you can I mean even she even if she tried to throw herself into helping everybody and doing things for people and doing all sorts of stuff and helping Diana and all sorts of stuff. That's nothing compared to her needing to heal and needing to sit with the sadness that her partner, someone who she loved with all her heart, 
is gone. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's an empty space there now. So she has to deal with that emptiness. And she, while she's had time to, she really just hasn't had a chance to deal with it. And this, that's something that's really important when you grieve people. So it's like she really needs to do that. Yeah. What what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing is that I, I used to I made fun of the show before saying it felt like a CW show <laughs> because it just it, it feels like adult CW as opposed to like the early 20s teen CW. Mm-hmm. But I think it it more or less has to do with um they just don't have the time. Like and I and seven, I get that. They they just don't they just, they there are things that they need to check off the list mm-hmm. and some of the character development that you would get in even a 10 or 12 episode season, 14, 15 episodes, you could probably get a lot more done and get all and hit all those beats. Yeah. But, you know, we probably would have been in New Orleans, maybe two episodes or three episodes. Mm-hmm. If we had, but, you know, and, and, I do understand what you feel about Sarah and the grief thing because we we talk about grief <laughs> on here a lot, and she seems to be the first character we've come across where it's almost like it, it's not even an issue. It's like she we just put her in the background. We don't have to talk about him. We don't have to see her talk about it and feel. We just have her moping around in the background, walking cookies. around like a robot, talking under her breath. Well, I'm not needed here. Right. So it, it, I don't know. I, I yeah, do feel you on that. It's just it. it but they, And then it, the whole like, Gallo Glass thing, you know, it's like last season, Gallo Glass was very much a part of the action. He was a part of Diana and Matt's story and not just as a background character. Like he was almost like Matthew's second you know, in everything. And now for this season, it's like, what did we learn? We learned that Philippe had him watch over Diana and he apparently has been doing this all of Diana's life and now has feelings for her. And now he's just following her around with nothing else to do, but keep an eye on her. Such a waste of a character, such a waste of Stephen Cree. While we're talking about this, so he goes with her to the library and then she's like, oh, you don't have a reading card. So he don't, he doesn't wait for her to leave. He well, just goes back to the crib. See, that's she, the thing. I, <laughs> I was trying out, to figure out. All over the place. Yeah, I was She goes to, to Hubbard's if, place. She, she's doing all these things and he back at the crib chilling. Peter Knox could have come in and attacked her wherever she was. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I found that a little weird too. Not much, he wasn't much of a bodyguard, to be honest with you. Yeah. But then again, maybe he figured, okay, she's going to see Father Hubbard. And technically speaking, she's she's a part of his flock. He he probably knew that she would be safe with Hubbard. But what about all the points in between going from here to there? Well, I don't know. I I'm mean, just... he could have dropped her. Out. I mean, we don't we don't know. It's like <laughs> you said. It's one of those things, it's, it's a writing thing, you know? Yeah, in one one breath, you're going to say, yeah, I, I have to go with you, Matthew's orders. And then she's off seeing you, Father. Yeah, so I get what you you're saying. The, and you're in the crib chilling. You you even brought the car back because Fernando's like, well, he's got the keys. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. seriously. So, 
I don't know that that was weird. But again, very, very, very big waste of two characters, and I hope that they rectify that before the end of this series. I don't think I don't think that's gonna happen. I just hate that, like in that whole scene where Sarah was gonna leave, and he was talking, and what's his name kept looking at him, was like, "Careful, careful, careful! Like, don't say too much." And it's yeah. like I'm like. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like Galaglass has so much potential, but they're just making him a lovesick puppy, just hanging on the periphery, waiting to be noticed. And it's just like he said, he's like, you know, you're going to be relieved of duty soon because Matthew has this. Like, it's, it's just a matter of time. And see, that's the other thing I, I really don't like. And I know that in the books, apparently this Galaglass crush love whatever thing is like a big deal i don't know how much i haven't paid attention i don't want to know Lori. oh no no (laughs) i don't want to know yet no 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 i agree with you but my i agree with everything you guys are saying because uh and and i'm not talking book gal gloss i'm just talking in general it just seems that have to hype him so much especially from last season and now he, he shows up and it's like he's sort of like um like you said a lovesick puppy and to the point where if they follow the story the way that I think they're going to go, whenever whatever happens with Galaglass is going to happen or not happen, it's going to be sort of like, eh, whatever, and, you know, everybody's just going to move on. I, I'm disappointed in that, and I'm disappointed because it, it seems as if Fernando isn't going to have as big a role as he has in the book, and the whole thing with Sarah, I think, is just ridiculous because like Hanukkah was saying earlier, you know, when you lose someone, it takes a long time to get over that. And people deal with it in their own way. And I think that she knows that she's needed, but at the same time, she doesn't maybe want to be needed. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think also too, in order, I feel like in order for her to properly grieve, she needs to go home. She needs to be in the space that she shared with Em. She needs to be able to touch things that Emily touched. I I think she needs to have, she needs to be there so that she can do whatever grieving she needs to do, have that release, and then be able to properly let her go. And I don't think she, she can't do that here. She's in a foreign country. She's in a foreign house. She's around foreign people, you know, people that she does not really know. She, who would be comfortable mourning in all of that? I wouldn't. Yeah, isn't their house like, isn't their house like. It's a magical house. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. it's like a conduit or, or something of that nature, like fruit for the day. Like, and, and yeah, it's like you said, there's something about like, you know, her getting in her bed and. And like it's smelling like the both of them and being being kind of comforting and, and yeah just like we just like we said she has none of that and we already know the house can show the memories right she can go home and look at a memory of of her and M yeah just but, just spit it out the chimney yeah yeah but but the other thing too is that that one thing is a reason that I think she doesn't need to go home yet because I feel like she'll go there and have the house just like replay all of these things about her and M and she'll get stuck and she'll not want to do anything. She'll not want to go see anybody. She'll just be there with her and M. And I don't want that for her either. You know, I want her to heal 
I want her to at least, if not be happy, be at peace right now. And also, I'm going to be honest, I really want her to be the one to to give it to Peter Knox. I really want that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I would so love it for her to be able to be the one to bring him down because he took her sister, he took her brother-in-law, and he took the love of her life. I want her to be the one to end Knox so bad, but I know it's not going to happen. I want, I, want, I want it to be where Diana knocks him down and his little his little ball rolls out of his pocket or his hand, and Sarah picks it up and uses it to end him. She's not gonna do that I because that's I dark know, magic. But that's that's kind of how I want to be mm-hmm. since he can it'd be it'd be poetic since he hasn't been able to use it this whole season, and then she finds she's finally able to use it to bust to crack his head open. I think that'll be. And poetic. I don't think no, she would she, do that either because that's also that's also the instrument that he used to kill M. Yeah, it is dark magic, and, and it's probably dark magic. He gets knocked out of his hand. And then a foot crushes it, and it's her foot. That <laughs> and he would can be never nice. use it again. That would be nice, <laughs> but yeah, I just I really want them to do more with uh, Sarah and Gallo Glass before the end of this season. I have a feeling the show, because of time, is going to just shift to just her and Matthew, to just um, Dan and Matthew, and and everyone else is going to be put on the back burner. Well, I think you might be right because we're three episodes in and they literally have not got to the main plot of book three yet. And they need to hurry it up if they're going to get to whatever they need to get to. That'll probably be next episode because because in the this episode, they have they have two pages and just need one more page. And they also, yeah. you know, towards the end of this episode, we got to see another scene between Jaber and Benjamin. And according to Lori, Jaber has like this oh. big whatever. So that'll probably come oh, next God. episode. What? Well, they they better hurt. They got well. See, here's the problem. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I asked you guys if you had two episodes or not on your on your on your feed for the show, mm-hmm. and for uh, that entire first weekend, they had the spoiler tag for the last episode of what the description of the episode was and i read it and if, and i'm going oh because if they do that they are it's going to be interesting because i don't see where they're going to get from where they are now to where the spoiler said at the end so mm-hmm. i i'll be very curious to see how they're going to do it because they haven't in fact they haven't even got to at least three major points yet mm-hmm. unless they're gonna you know whatever but i i like I like the fact that this episode, we actually get to see something that we haven't seen a lot. We've seen magic all throughout, but we haven't seen the vampires do their vampire thing. And that was awesome. Seeing them, you know, with the speed and the whatever, because we don't get a lot of that in this show. And so I was like, okay, cool. But I still think that that woman that was watching Diana in the library, I think she was a demon. You know, I had questions about her because I was like, they're focusing on her way too, too much. much. Right. Yep. Way too much. Mm-hmm. So, but Anthony, you have your hand up. What's up? Since you brought up Jabir and Benjamin. Mm-hmm. You have a theory. I, I do not have a theory. I was just going to say that I think I was wrong about something. I think I was wrong about um Benjamin and Domenico and Domenico manipulate. I Jaber is the master manipulator. 
I think he is a lot smarter than he appears to be. I think most of what he's doing, his overreactions and his eccentricities are just like a cover for what he really wants to accomplish. You might be right, but I will tell you one thing about Shabir. I'm so sick of him talking to people like they're dogs. I'm so <laughs> I sick think of that's it. part of it because it, it makes the other person feel emotional and they don't make rational decisions when he treats them like shit and they don't feel like they should be treated that way. And, and I'm, I'm really starting to believe it because, like, he had been Pope. If, if we are to go along with how she's writing this, all these people have had places in history. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much conniving and scheming it takes to become a Pope? <laughs> I mean, uh, no offense to any Catholics who are listening. Yeah, all Catholics. But please, I'm sure it's not. Email to Anthony Liggins <laughs> and not to fantasyharbor.com. Thank you. <laughs> right the the views expressed herein are my views and my views alone um but, but yes, yeah i saw it, the borgias <laughs> exactly that yeah. and you watched that and the, not the da vinci code the other one the second one but anyway you see that it takes a lot of behind the scenes machiavellian imagination that's what this man is doing mm-hmm. he's doing it again he's manipulating everyone mm-hmm. domenico Benjamin, Baldwin, Satu, Peter Knox. It's, he's like this master chess player. I'm, I'm starting to see the picture now that Jabir is creating. And I, So they, do you think Benjamin going to Satu had something to do with Jabir's plan or do you think Benjamin is doing his own thing on the side? It's a little bit both. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jabir didn't plant the idea mm-hmm. in his head. Like, why don't you go see what the witches got going on? Okay. While we're talking about that, I have to put in this one little gripe. The congregation is so, they want to talk about rules and following rules all the time. But y'all don't say shit when the vampires are constantly going into the witches archives. Why is that? That's the second time Domenico did it, and now Benjamin is done. Just walked in like they were at home, and they are not supposed to be allowed in there. Let's just be honest about this situation. The rules are in place to protect the the demons and the witches from the vampires. So if the vampires want to do something, there isn't much either one of the other two groups can do about it. I know, but it's just the gripe. Like, you guys constantly talk about the rules, the rules, the rules, the rules, no intermingling. The vampires vampires are always the one going into the witches' quarters. The vampires don't care about the rules. (laughs) They really don't. (laughs) Everyone else does, because if they get out of line, then the vampires put them back in their place. Do do as I say, not as I do. It's nobody. Yeah, no, who, who's going to check the vampires? Check nobody. Well, you know, I will say that they, they better watch out for Satu. They better watch out. Because Benjamin wasn't Satu, afraid of her. He wasn't afraid of her, but at the same time, Satu was like, look, all y'all funky ass little men coming in here trying to get me on your side. I ain't got shit to do with y'all. I, don't think- I, I got my own agenda. White male patriarchy. <clears throat> I don't think Benjamin realizes how powerful she is, though. He, he gonna fuck around and find out. <laughs> First of all, the vampires move faster than anybody can weave anything. 
Yeah, I, I mean. Oh wait, wait, maybe. never mind. I, never mind because you're thinking um, Peter Matthew's not. sister. Matthew's sister wasn't fast enough. No, so. she was not fast enough. And you have to think about it. Diana and Satu are like on a whole different level than the rest of the witches. Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah, they can come up on Peter Knox like that because Peter Knox ain't shit in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> He's a paper witch. Try that mess with Diana or Satu. It ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Yeah, it's Peter Knox is happen. like a corporate witch. He's like the corporate kiss ass witch that got his powers from a rock. He's like, ain't no one paying attention to your ass. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, and he he I don't know, Peter Knox should know better than to be messing with other folks and all this other stuff. I mean he's feeling himself. It's like, why would you think that you could you could use that little rock on a old old vampire who knows all the tricks and who probably knew he was like was way older than you yeah and not not only just the tricks he has the nerve to get smart with father hubbard talking about i know you value your invisibility and are you valuing yours i was like (laughs) and did you see the look on his face when father hubbard said that to him he was looking at him like how dare you speak to me he was like yeah i heard he was like even a person like me who doesn't care about creature politics knows that your ass ain't in the congregation no more so (laughs) when i'm telling you i was feeling father hubbard in this episode i was like okay and then even when diana came to get the page he was like I'm not going to give it to Nas, but I'm not going to give it to you either. Like, what do y'all think I am? And I think he really had no idea of how important the pages were, except that it was important enough to hide. And then when, when Diana explained it to him, I think he realized, okay, you know what? This is what we need. We, we need something that's going to unite all of us instead of making some of us live in fear. Some of us be treated as if we don't matter because we haven't really heard much from the demons yet. And I think that's going to change with the next episode because we do see Agatha in London with them, but it's almost like they've forgotten the demons even exist. You know, what was cool about that scene between her and father Hubbard is her acknowledging the fact that she was still part of his flock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that really appealed to him because, you know, she was like, would you rather trust the page with someone, a member of your flock? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and because I think here's the thing. Spoke to him. She is part of his flock. And therefore she has a stake in all of, in, in keeping his flock safe too. And then not only that, she owes him. He kept Jack safe. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it wasn't in the way that she intended, but he kept him safe. He kept his promise. You know, he was like, I will watch over him. I will keep him safe. Jack was dying. He was like, oh, nope. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And plus, it's like, this goes but back from to, his perspective. She's a part of a swap. Oh, I'm sorry. This go goes back to like the first season where we saw that one Diana superpowers is being able to talk to anybody and get what she wants. Because it's like she's been doing this the whole series. Like even last season, it's like she knows how she knows exactly what to say, when to say it to get what she wants so that's like mm-hmm. it's her superpower. superpower yeah that's her superpower but yeah i'm i just I, I i i'm like watching it as we're going and i keep going back to father hubbard's look of abject horror when he had when, when hubbard had his hand around his throat 
it's just so aesthetically mm-hmm. pleasing to me it was so satisfying really and then is. when he said really you he was like get he, what did he say get out or something like that and then he says with my blessing and he just he just mushed him up against the face and <laughs> he was looking at him like what the fuck and then when he let him go he walked off like and so that was so funny it was so satisfying to watch so i will never get tired of watching peter knox get his ass handed to him never it will never get old never ever yeah you know know what else i found cool about this episode you have the two super researchers hell yeah (laughs) phoebe doing all the super shit like Damn, girl. I was nerding out. Like, look at these researchers. These. And when she was talking to Marcus, he made almost made an illusion about her not being a vampire and, like, about living forever. And he quickly changed the subject. No, actually, he didn't. He said, yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. She said, uh-huh. no. She said, yeah, but now's not the time. So apparently, yeah. and again, we've been in this for months now. It's probably been about a year since they actually got together. So... They probably have talked about it. Like, okay, so how is this going to work? Like, are we just going to, you, you know, it's, it's that conundrum. Do I stay human and keep my humanity? And then it just gets weird after a while and we just have to move. They probably have already had that conversation. Like, okay, so this thing between me and you, is this going to be like a, a temporary 50, 60 year thing? Or are we talking eternity? I don't know if that, you know, that conversation may not have happened yet, but... um, I mean, maybe maybe she's going to be the first one to, maybe, like, Marcus turns her, and she's the first one to try the cure. For the blood rage? You know, I don't know if Marcus would turn her because he probably doesn't want to put her in that kind of risk. He can't turn her. If he's going to marry her, it has to be someone outside the family. Yeah, but we we don't know that watching the show. Right. Well, we don't know that, that we no, don't know that yet. No, no, no. I'm just saying in, in general, wouldn't you think that you'd want somebody outside of your family to do it? Because then he'd be then it then it would literally be incest. I you know what? I don't I don't know if the mechanics I don't I don't know if it, <laughs> I, I wouldn't look at it like that as far as like from a mating point of view, because here's the thing: if I'm gonna let somebody tear into my neck and suck me dry so i can transition or whatever i'm not gonna want anybody else to do that that would be weird Mm -hmm. that's way Mm -hmm. too that's way too intimate Mm -hmm. i I wouldn't want anybody else to do it and and then someone in this episode mentioned uh, they were telling matthew you you want to risk everything for 50 years with this witch didn't someone say that? That's mm-hmm. uh, that's gonna be in the next episode. Baldwin is gonna say it to him that it was oh, in the okay. uh, previews for next. Oh, yeah, it was, sorry. Yeah, it was gonna be in the previews for next episode. But I mean, Matthew Matthew knew what he was signing up for when he told Diana he loved her because he told her this is it. And Isabel made it plain. Miriam has made it plain. Once you mate with someone you don't mate with anybody else. You might be able to sleep with other people. You might be able to whatever. But as far as that absolute love, soulmate, whatever, whatever, that's it. So he knew what he was signing up for with Diana. And he told her, he said, when he said, when you are gone, my life will be over. I, I just had a thought. Remember how Jabir was looking at Isabel? 
Mm-hmm. What if this is like his master plan to get revenge for being turned down by Isabel? Well, I, you know, we talked about that last season. That's some petty shit. We Hell talked no. about that last season, like that might be a possibility. Because I was like, yeah, there was something there. Because when I can't remember what line it was that he said to her, he said something to her about Matthew and Diana. And she said, what would you know of love? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, what is this? We probably won't get that story either, but that's probably, that could be why he hates the the Claremont so much. He's pissed at Philippe, but again, we, we don't know. We probably won't ever find out. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't, well, okay. It can always go back to the same old story. Somebody is with somebody and someone else is jealous because they're in love with them. I mean, that could, it could be a case of that, Mm -hmm. or it could simply be the case that uh, he wants to be in a seat of power and because she's made it with Philippe, he knows that he can't just, uh, you know, basically uh, sweep in and, and take over and be and marry her and become head of the family because that's very inconvenient that you can't mate again. So, you and know, not that, only that, Isabel don't want him. Don't you know what that old man knows? At all. Nobody At wants all. an old man. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, she's probably older than him, but she don't want him. She don't want him. I mean, come on. You're going to follow up Philippe with Jaber? Really? Who does that? You Nobody. go forwards, not backwards. Who? No. But yeah, no, it, it it's it's quite interesting because I I think one of the biggest things that I liked about this episode is the fact that it was a quieter episode in some aspects. It wasn't a lot of back and forth. The stuff with Christopher and Marion was very interesting. I, I like the fact that it was one of those episodes where I watched it. I didn't have to think too hard except about the New Orleans stuff. The rest of it, it was just like, oh, Diana went to the library. Oh, Diana found a page. Oh, Father Hubbard is kind of on their side. You know, it was a very easygoing episode. Yeah, shout out to Diana for doing that spell where she looks like she's not doing anything to the outside world and she's doing all kinds of other bullshit inside that little bubble. Mm. I want to learn that shit. So I can do that at my desk where I can take a nap and people think I'm actually doing work. Bruh, bruh, I would never get <laughs> shit done. Out. I would never get anything done. <laughs> I just, mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, the other thing I want to say about this episode, again, I have to say I am really, really really loving the actor that they have playing Jack. He is doing such a phenomenal job. It's like, I feel everything that kid is feeling through the screen. It's not bad. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, he's pretty doggone good. He's good. I hope they find a cure for him, but I don't know how that's going to work. I don't want to know. I just, oh, yeah. I, you know, for a formal episodes is not enough. Like, why is it that the good shows have limited runs and then you have some that are not as great and they stay on TV forever? Ever. I, I, need, I, need, I need more than four episodes. Stick the landing, people. That's all we need for them yeah. to do is stick the landing. That is true. I mean, they need to stick I mean, the landing and give us the sequel. And give us the sequel. Because yeah, you know, a sequel. lot of... A lot of the trend, and of course, we have to remember COVID and everything like that. That could be right why we have seven episodes. A lot of the stuff on the BBC 
uh, new seasons of shows, they have basically pared them down to almost like three or four episodes for the entire season. And I just, it's insane. I just don't understand it. I mean, I saw somebody make a comment about this. Um, I forgot where I was looking. It might've been on Twitter, but someone was talking about the uh, Disney Plus shows, the Marvel Disney Plus shows. And they were like, can somebody please tell Marvel that it's okay to give us more than six episodes? Like, really, it is? But, I mean, even with like the Netflix, I mean, the Netflix shows, 10 episodes seem to be a happy medium. I mean, if you look at network shows, some of those shows have 22, 23 episodes a season and you're like, oh my God, why is the season so long? And some of them have that many and you're like, the season's not long enough. I just seven episodes no that's nowhere near enough time to give us what we want no we need more than that i can't believe it's only seven episodes yeah that's it that's it so you can forget about gallo glass being the warrior that you think he is you know we're just not sarah doing some amazing magic (laughs) we're not gonna see any of that Mm. We may barely see them give this third page. <laughs> we're almost oh, into yeah. we're almost in the end game now. Well, like I yep. said, they haven't even got to the actual major plot of the book yet. So I'm like, okay, all right, okay, because I think that this does serve as a backdoor pilot for uh, a time covenant. So you know, but they have a lot to do. I mean, because not lot. only were not only were those New Orleans vampires dressed in thighs, they were all gorgeous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Geraldine, oh my god seriously I'm like oh and then she was wearing kicks when she walked away you saw the shot had that suit she had on kicks I was like oh yeah there you go you know it was awesome I was and just looking at them like oh listen. hello oh hello to you too oh help. like just melanin uh, popping on the screen oh. a lot of flavor I was like what, Marcus he went through a phase or something like what was that about no Marcus has a type I was going to say, he has a type. Have you seen Phoebe? Exactly. I'm just playing. (laughs) I mean, you know, he he, he, he ain't playing. He ain't messing with nothing. nothing, No palm colored anything. Like, nah. Yeah. So he he definitely was a Union soldier, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he 100% was Union. Yeah. (laughs) He ain't Confederate. No, no. Well, I mean, he was. I'm trying to remember where he's from because during the Revolutionary War, where he was turned because they did something with Washington. I want to say that he was from Virginia. He, I think he said something. I think when he was telling Sounds Phoebe right. his background, he said something about where he was from, but I don't remember what it was. But... I don't remember, but I think I think it's Virginia. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember, you know, we have, you know, it, it's funny because whenever they talk about, you know, revolutionary, I got to go back and think, okay, what were the 13 colonies again? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Marcus has been listening to Heavy D. Black coffee, no sugar, no, no sugar, no cream. That's the kind of girl I need down with my team. Uh, uh. Yeah, I really do hope we do see more of the New Orleans vampires in a in another season or in another show. Like I, I'm really starting to hope that they do the Marcus and Phoebe stuff. Yeah, they have to. They have to. Oh, they have they have to i mean because they're leaving so much unsaid and undone they're I mean, probably gonna do- wait until like 
episode six or episode seven they're probably waiting till like episode seven and then announce hey right because why do why show us something that's not even in book three in an episode if you're not going to work it you know so and and they can't they can't leave us hanging by introducing these dynamic vampires in new orleans and not give us anything else like yeah come on right because they want, were fierce. Like, yes. you think about the other characters in the show, and this is not to disparage the characters. I mean, I know that they were written for their specific purposes, but when it comes to the other vampires, you have Baldwin, who is <clears throat> egotistical, unreliable, at least, you know, he's just, he's only in a position of power because of who his sire was, Period. Baldwin does not strike me and I know that he's probably fought some wars and stuff because I mean he's Philippe's son Matthew's brother I'm sure he's fought some wars he probably can fight but nothing about Baldwin's character and that's with either actor it has nothing to do with the actor nothing about Baldwin's character makes me think that if it came to an all-out brawl he would be one of the ones left standing there's nothing about him that speaks that to me because one nobody likes him there's no allegiance to him there's nobody that you know he can't he can't call a friend or anything he just yeah he he just doesn't have it and what about his kids we don't hear anything about i bet his kids don't even like him i mean the fact that we haven't even heard about them is like okay and and the the other i'm sorry I was going to say the congregation might be in a little bit of trouble because Matthew's successful with his scion. You know, those New Orleans vampires are probably pretty good to have on your side. Then you have the Knights of Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus yeah. which I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just say that's an abandoned storyline. Yeah. We're never going to hear about them ever again. You just aren't. They don't well, have. Well, we we do see them put their hand on the sword in the credits, though. You sure that wasn't the sound being sworn to? No. Well, but you know what? They could be. They could be incorporating both. Yeah. Because yeah. Matthew was the head of right. the Knights of Lazarus. Then he passed it down to Marcus. If he forms this scion, Marcus is going to be a part of this scion. So why not incorporate? Oh, that reminds me. That's a question I had. So. Hugh and Fernando form their own scion, right? right? Which means, technically speaking, they break away from the family. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But when they had the family dinner, Galloglass was seated at the table with them. Right. At set tour. Right. So is that normal? Or is that something that's just was overlooked? Or is that something that's like, I I think what happened is that Hugh and Fernando formed their own scion and that Galglass never really joined them. He stayed separate because remember, he didn't even want to set foot in France. Right? right. Right. Because they killed they killed Hugh. So my thing is is that I, I get they in the book they refer to Fernando as his stepfather. Mm-hmm. Okay, not his father's stepfather. So I'm thinking that Galglass separated himself enough through the whole thing that whatever happened he was never actually a part of it he was just uh, he abstained he basically says you know my name is Bennett I'm not in it and just kept over to the side and when Philippe asked him to watch over Diana 
that's when he finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years, came back into the Claremont fold and came into the house. That's what I think. That's not in the book. It's just me. Yeah, because I was going to say, because even Gallo Glass wouldn't necessarily have to have gone back to France in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Philippe could have gone somewhere else and seen Gallo Glass. Mm-hmm. He could have mm-hmm. gone to England. I mean, we know from Father Hubbard, it wouldn't be surprising to see Philippe de Claremont walking down the street. They could have gone back to Bohemia, too. Okay. It, it's also possible that the way Hugh and Fernando formed their own scion, it wasn't necessarily in opposition of the de Claremont family. Like, it wasn't for... It, it wasn't it was like, like Matthew and Baldwin. Right. It was like an outright rebellion. It was like, you basically disown me. So I might as well go start my own family. Okay. Right. I get that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 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 and then that would necessarily make Gallo Glass opposed to the true. Claremonts. It's okay. just, they, they, they just had to go to the side. Otherwise, they, they were already just going to be on their own. Okay. So this way, they were able to form a family and have a little bit of cohesion in peace that could make sense right. yeah but see yeah. here's the here's the other issue that i have and i don't think we're going to see it we're missing two uh family members that they haven't even brought into the series and that's another sister and another brother of the main de claremonts right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and they and they, the sister in particular has a pretty decent uh storyline that it goes with everything that's going to happen. So I'm wondering if they're even going to bother to bring the sister in. No, they're not. If they you have heard from her by now, it's yeah. they're cut for time. You don't that's have true. you don't have time. I mean, at this point, it's a little late in the game to introduce somebody major. It really mm-hmm. is, and bring their story along with it, unless it has unless it like absolutely ties into the whole book of life thing. Yeah, I think at this point, just let it go. Because basically what we have left is, was it, four episodes? Yes. We got one episode to get the third page, another episode to go back to Sarah's house to get the rest of the book and put it together. Mm. And then we got to form the scion. Right. And we got to have the babies. Right. And have the babies. And then we got to have the final episode. Yeah. And we have to figure out the whole blood rage thing and figure out how that's going to end. With and, yeah, and there isn't any room or time in there for anything else. Nope. And there has to be a little, a little antagonistic part where Benjamin almost gets the book, but he doesn't, or he gets right. the book, and it's like you know, there has to be some kind of thing with him or Jaber or Domenico. I was gonna say, something. I don't even think Benjamin cares B- about Benjamin the book. Cares. He just he wants, care to, about he book. just wants to give the finger to Matthew in a huge way. So yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't have that, four plot points we gotta get to, and. and that's it. Yeah. No, t- no time to bring anybody else in. If they want to do a sequel and, and talk about some more people, they can. But yeah, they, they don't have room to do anything else. We, we have enough stuff to be going on with, as the saying goes. So yeah, And, they, and Lori can... said something really important earlier. I think shouldn't be overlooked, the um, COVID, because yeah. you realize there aren't a lot of scenes with a lot of people in them. Mm-hmm. It's like a handful of people in every scene, mm-hmm. and we aren't seeing a lot of a lot of the same people together, mm-hmm. yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they finished filming what uh, twenty uh, February twenty twenty one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
somewhere around that time. Yeah. So that was, that was high, high COVID back then. Well, it still is, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, yeah. They, 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 what bothers me is that the first episode was a good third of the book. And then now we've got the second episode, you got the third episode, and I'm like, you're still around that third of a book. They still haven't gotten to the halfway point, but I think with the next episode, they'll get there because the babies are going to be born, you know, hopefully. And, you know, it's just, I think my biggest thing is is that I got, I'm going to have to be really good about just letting what happens happen and not complaining about the stuff that I know that's going to happen that's not going to happen because of time. Right. I mean, but that's that's what we always have to do when it comes to page to screen adaptations mm-hmm. because they never they never give us the time to put everything in the story. Right. So yeah. But um, I'm trying to think. Did we leave anything out? I think we covered everything. Yeah, I guess we did. So we know next episode we're probably going to see babies. Because it looks like Diana's going into labor. Unless that's at the very end of the next episode and they just like mad teased us. Like Could be. Um, we do know we'll see Agatha next episode. There is that one mysterious gentleman who um, I guess says to Diana something about you're the one you're the one who's going to figure it all out or something to, of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, because because basically uh, what what should happen is going to wrap up a lot of plot points, but they're not they're not there yet. And if it if it, and if they do it the way that I think they're going to do it, it's going to be rushed. And again, I got to have patience. But I think that the biggest problem with them is that in my mind, if I was writing this, I would have had Diana have the babies this episode just to get it out the way. That would have been too much for this episode, though. Well, I think I they that. really, yeah, I think they really needed to focus on the New Orleans stuff just to give us the backstory mm-hmm. for whatever's about to happen. And like you said, to kind of fill in those gaps with Marcus and his family and Matthew and all that stuff and to kind of bring that to some kind of closure. There's no way they're going to have Matthew halfway across the world when she's getting ready to have the babies. Mm. He's going to be closer. Yeah, I think so. I can't wait to see the interaction between Benjamin and Satu. That's going to be good. I mean, that I, looks I, interesting. You can already tell, like, there's like some kind of not necessarily sexual, but it's just like them feeling each other out in the teaser. Is like you could tell that that's that's going to be something. Hey, there's some chemistry there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he and when she said, "I'm not going to do it," and he said, "Well, I'm sorry to hear you say that," and I'm like, "Oh shit." That was just evil. That was evil incarnate right there. Oh. Oh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I know it probably doesn't matter, but I'm surprised Jabert hasn't done anything more to find out what happened to his daughter. Oh, crazy town. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe he knows. I was going to say he knows. He he has to know he's, she's dead. Yeah. She didn't accomplish the goal. Well, I mean, right. no, but I mean, think about it. She walked away from him. She left him. Remember? So, you know, he was looking for, he was like, anywhere to Juliet. Domenico's like, no, but yeah. Bye-bye, Birdie. But, okay, yeah. I don't have anything else. Yeah, I don't have anything else for this episode. I think, um, like I said, I did enjoy it. It was confusing a little bit, but once we talked it out, 
I think I understand a little bit more about how that storyline played out. So I'm good. Oh, Mi- Miriam and Chris, weren't they in this episode? Yes, they were. They needed Very more briefly. Briefly. Yeah, they needed more samples and then they decided that they're just going to work yeah. with what they got. So, so now, we're gonna get them now. Orleans, now we've got New Orleans vampires yeah. that are, you know, probably going to provide some samples. I think they're going to close in on a solution, hopefully. So are we thinking that Hamish has the other page or that he's really no, gonna- no. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think we're gonna. It would be too obvious. I don't think. Yeah, and I don't think Hamish would have, knowing what Matthew and Diana had to go through to try to find the Book of Life, like going to a whole different century, and Hamish and Matthew being as close as they are, I don't think he would have held out on Matthew that he had the page. I think that it's going to turn out where he's going to be like, "Wait, what's the page look like?" And they describe me like, "Oh." I had that hanging in my foyer. Hold on. Am I, am I, oh, my, the last, yeah. last time? Yeah, the <laughs> last, hunting wild. Last time yeah. I redecorated, I put it up. Hold on a second. Let me go, let me go grab it. It's right over here. No, the, the master researchers think they know who has it. Remember? There's yeah. a guy they're going to go oh, see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's TJ. True. Yeah, yeah, TJ. Oh, I, he, I wonder, is that the guy who uh, Agatha and Diana are talking to in the preview? Probably so. I probably that's probably yeah. Like now I, said, I think about it, because why else? I mean, because Diana and Agatha really haven't had much interaction throughout the last two seasons. So yeah, okay. Well, it's more Agatha's son and, and daughter-in-law more than anything. And, and and then that's the other drop thread. What happened to them and the baby? Oh, she told them to get lost. Big, big, big I know ghost. she told them to get lost, but I mean, they lost. What, you don't call for tech support or nothing? I mean, you know. Yeah, no. Um, P- Peter Knox is on a rampage and he is trying to get that baby because that baby is a witch. I wouldn't surface either. Y'all would not hear from me. No, not a postcard, nothing until that. I knew that dude was dead. He feel pretty funny if the baby kicked his ass. I, I I can't see Peter Knox doing much of a rampage. Like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. He's a witch. And again, we haven't seen that the demons have any special powers or superpowers. Right. right so right. he wouldn't tell you they're blanks. That is their special power. Well, that was <laughs> their special power is organization. That's why they're all dying out. That's why they're all dying out. Is that because they two know? demons make a witch? Come on now. Oh well, see, that's that's the other uh thing is that you have to ask yourself if you two demons made a witch and a witch and a vampire made babies and they have twins. Are they the only ones? Is there other people that? Because obviously, you got to think about it. the congregation. Somewhere along the line, somebody has said, "Well, are there? If you use a, a vampire diaries term, are there hybrids out there? Are there children that we we know about the one in Jerusalem, right? Are there others? And have they tracked them down, or have they even looked for them?" I'm telling you, I'm going to stick by what I said last season. They did not know that the people that they were turning that automatically took were demons. Like, maybe they were demon or half demon, but that's what caused them to become vampires. Two demons get together, they have a witch. I mean, how else can you explain the dwindling population since they put up those stupid archaic rules that they can't co-mingle and Mm, be together? It's like, obvious it is 
I mean, I see it. I don't see why Miriam doesn't see it because I'm sure she's brilliant. She should. She should. Have, she's been looking at this problem for a hundred years. She should be able to figure it out. Oh wait, hmm. The creatures can't commingle anymore, and the result is witches are becoming fewer and fewer and have less powers. Mm-hmm. Demons are going crazy. And vampires can't sire anyone. Why? Because they're trying to turn humans and it's not working. Because those humans don't have demon blood because the demons can't congregate with anybody. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, it To me, it just seems like it's obvious. Oh, it was obvious part. season one, more obvious season two, and even more <laughs> obvious in season mm-hmm. three you make a good point I, I will give you that but like i said we're that's gonna, a great theory anthony <laughs> it is a you, theory, you see, theory those of you listening i'm sorry you do not see my shirt but it says no theories whatever. you will not find them here whatever <laughs> we'll see but um i guess that's it for our show you can find us online at www.phantomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Phantom Hybrid. You can also find us on YouTube and all major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time. <laughs>